We're still giving away two boxes of books per episode, one to a Patreon supporter and one to a PayPal supporter. Slightly bigger box of books for the Patreon supporter. So if you listen to the end of this episode, you will find out who the two winners are. Oh, what? Oh, wait, wait. What's wrong? No. Oh, Why did you keep flashing the red light? I'm sorry if we seem <laughs> so crazy. Well, I don't know. I haven't eaten for anything today apart from that porridge, and that's run out. Up? I know, but I had the porridge earlier because I'd take my son's school, didn't I? And then, no, oh, so walk up the hill. I've already burnt off the porridge by the time <laughs> I get up the hill. <sighs> okay. Hello. Hello. Uh, welcome to Robin and Josie's Book Shambles. The reason I'm laughing is because this is about our third attempt at an introduction. Well, it's um, not because we got the other introductions wrong, apart from the fact that we thought the signal, which was start tape, was don't do anything for a while. <laughs> and we did things for a while. Yeah, we did. We, we were the opposite of a Beckett play. <laughs> so I suppose the, uh, um, this is nothing to be done. We didn't wait around and we did loads. <laughs> yeah, nothing to be done. Um, and our guest is someone who I uh, met at backstage at Glastonbury at Billy Bragg's left field. Uh, tent. Uh, well, I only meet the best people. Grace Petrie was, of course, yeah. first person right back there. You obviously weren't doing left field, I think, that year. I, even when I'm not doing it, I still managed to blag backstage and get myself <laughs> a tea because I'm a good socialist. Yeah, the custard <laughs> creams had gone down and then you had a reaction, didn't you? Because they weren't gluten-free. Silly. You punished yourself and punished us. I'm gluten-free as well, so that's all. Uh, yeah. I had, um, I discovered, well, I, I thought I was dying, essentially, because I googled all my symptoms. Um, I was in West Africa at the time doing, like, like working 17 hours and on this like you know global campaign wow. and then i realized i was you know gluten-free but it's a weird it's a very are we allowed to swear yeah, 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 yeah. okay it's a very wankery thing to have as oh a... tell me about it and i hate telling people because i want to go i love food and i'm not fussy but unfortunately if i but also it makes me ill yeah sometimes i still do it but no sometimes i actually chew bread and i spit it out because i've missed it oh, so much smart because bread is the big one. Like yeah. pasta, gluten-free pasta is fine, whatever. Bread is like this thing that sings to yeah. me. And after a while, I can't, I just have to have a bit. It doesn't, it, like gluten-free sick. bread doesn't taste the same on cheese. And it's getting slightly better, yeah. gluten-free bread, but it's not. Are you going to introduce who our guest is as well? Rather than just being a nameless no, person. Uh, met at uh, one of my favourite uh, gluten-free guests, um, <laughs> Nim Ali, who was... Uh, um, and the last time we met, we mentioned Beckett, was at the Old Vic, seeing Lisa yeah. Dwan, another Book Shambles guest, do uh, incredible four monologues, which are um, quite petrifying. But they I realise now that... Oh, I'm sorry. Ben, I but I realise now why you were like, I wonder how the introduction to me is going to be because yeah. of your work and the, and the nature of the work that you do. Um, because you're a campaigner um, against FGM, yeah. which I, I guess it must feel like people are sort of like saying this massive thing straight away before they bring you on. No, I think it's always my vagina precedes me before everywhere I go. <laughs> so it's that thing of, yeah, should I talk about my vagina first or should we talk about gluten-free? But I think today, for the first time, I've, like, you know, upped that and I've started talking about gluten-free beforehand. You never know. But, we might make it like one of those things where in, in the old days where an act would pretend they were about to play the violin but then keep telling jokes, never play the, never violin. Play the violin. Your vagina may well come before you and then never get mentioned. Also, and they'll think, oh. That's we, the nature of being gluten-free, I think, okay. is that you want to tell everyone. Yeah. I'm like that. And it's like vegans. And it's okay to tell everybody, and it's one of those things where you can tell everybody, well, I've just come back from um, East Africa, and the, the concept of gluten-free doesn't go down very well. The concept of many things doesn't go down very well, so our main staple in the morning is pancakes. And my grandmother's like, nothing's going to happen to you, just like, just have some pancakes. And I was like, I wish I could, but I just can't. Yeah. 
and it's like those like you know you um like fairy like you know airy fairy little British uh, British liberal kind of one. So I think she thinks it's because I've been raised it why I've became gluten free, and that if I'd been raised on proper camel's milk, I would have been fine. But that's where you want to be like, I'm going to be ill, please. But why is it sometimes, in fact, when I've been joasted for a few days, like if we're on tour, I get so embarrassed by her always saying to eat free. Yeah. And I don't believe people, that I deliberately force bread into her till she has a reaction. And then, the, and then I go, see, it is true. Look at my she elbows. she screams in a cubicle. <laughs> anyway. Um, um, it's a well, we should yeah. start off. In fact, then we will talk a little bit. Uh, so we, you know, don't always go straight into talking about kind of biographical things. But you are part of, uh, well, I mean, the major part of of the organisation Daughters of Eve. Yeah. And as Josie has mentioned as well, it's about FGM, female genital mutilation. Um, can you tell us the the story? Of and then then we'll have a normal conversation. Yeah. But I think it's worth just people who don't know about it knowing what you do. Yeah, and it and it kind of it's the thread that runs um, through my life in different kind of ways. So ironically, um, so twenty seven years ago, um, I was on holiday in what is now Somaliland, so in East Africa, and the war broke out. And on the way back to Manchester, I, I had um, FGM, but it was this really weird thing and it was the first kind of example that I realised that my gender was different to that of my brothers and my uncles and it was the first thing that ironically like you know, male circumcision was a common thing and I knew about it and everybody talked about it but this actual act was different to male circumcision it was um, it was painful but nobody gave me any kind of understanding around it and I always say that my experience was completely out of context compared to other young girls that I knew because I had a mother that allowed me to be freely educated there wasn't we were kind of in a secular family so I was just expecting like like basically like what the fuck was that and well my mother didn't have the answer so she didn't want to talk about it which was kind of started a rift between our relationship and then I went back to um, my teacher and I'd gone back into year three at that time and I said oh this really because I wasn't really embarrassed about it I was really curious about it and that's what I am about a lot of things in life and I said this really weird thing happened and um, can you tell me about it and I was very um, graphic in the way that I described it because it was quite vivid in my memory and she said well oh that's fine that's what happens to girls like you and I thought oh oh my god and I think that and for the next kind of 20 years of my life trying to find what girls like me were because I do live a parallel like life in terms of being very Somali and speaking the language and being very proud about that and understanding FGM has no role in that and then being very British as well at the same time um, I just was trying to figure out what girls like me meant and I kind of like you know tagged myself like you know Planet Nimco Population One and when you said um, what kind of books speak to you that's the kind like you know the, those, those are books that spoke to me as an individual within a broader collective so FGM was something that happened to me as a seven-year-old but it was something that kind of started me on a journey of trying to figure it out is how I kind of found a lot of the strengths and a lot of the kind of things that I believe in because at every step everybody was trying to in some sometimes trying to be kind trying to be like saying oh this is such a massive thing I don't know how if you're able to cope with it so they were trying to be nice by trying to tell me it was fine it happened out of love it this is something to, to do with your culture and those things would always feel like bullshit to me and I was like no actually it's something else it's what is it and um it was um reading Noel the Salawi's books the defacing of Eve it was an essay about her writing about FGM and I, these kind of p- p- political identities I really found that it was a form of like you know violence against women and girls and I think literature was and escaping into that and having conversations with other people and especially like you know George Orwell was places that I could find that actually people could live in a physical state but ultimately operate in a different way and think completely different to a lot of the people that were 
um, around them. So yeah, that's it was something that happened to me as a seven-year-old and it's something that I've been fighting and talking about in a different way to a lot of people for um, a long time. And that's why I started to become an activist because I saw my silence was very much complicit to the misunderstanding because I'd empowered myself, mm. I'd changed the language, I understood that it was violence against women and girls, but like no, no, nobody else had kind of moved along with me on that kind of conversation and seeing a lot of girls that could have been me um, and that were essentially me because they were from the same cultural background and everything else, having undergone FGM and then being lost again, I thought, you know what, this is something that I need to do something about. And for me, it was that whole conversation of, well, if my if I'm British and you love me and you've accepted me, then you have to accept me as a whole person. So any act that happens to, whether it's a overt chastisation or being slapped or whether it's rape or whether it's FGM, it should be dealt through that kind of um, premise, like, you know, premise that it's something that happened to you as a citizen and we need to help you with that. But when it came to FGM, I was constantly being looked at through this lens of culture, which I never... I thought I just don't understand like my vagina is not it doesn't it doesn't have a separate passport it doesn't have a separate language it literally is me how do you feel about things like cultural relativism do you think about that a lot like what it like what that means as a stance and what it, how it affects people yeah and that's what I said in terms of my little joke that myself and lefties men don't like lefty men don't get along very well because they're always trying to rescue me and I was like I've been empowered I'm emancipated it's actually stand in solidarity and help us do things rather than trying to understand something so I think there's a lot of um, there was a lot of voyeurism and there's a lot of, there's a lot of like you know poor Africans this is something different to the 40,000 rapes that happened in London domestic abuse and all these things and I thought it's it's not the only reason why I had FGM is because I was a girl and mm. the culture or the world that I live in was very much scared of the fact that I may I may actually have ambitions that are untapped and I might actually want to do things and I might want to be louder and I might want to do all these kind of things so yeah I think cultural relativism has has been one of the kind of burdens in, in terms of trying to have a conversation because a lot of people feel uncomfortable in saying that it's bad or uncomfortable in saying that it's horrible and that it's painful and it's something that they can object to because they think they're being racist or they're being offensive yeah. to some kind of identity and I, and for me that was as a child growing up I was I always say I was always talked about and talked at but never necessarily engaged with right and that was that was secondary to um, my teacher saying that's what happened to girls like you that was the experiences that I felt from a political standpoint. And I didn't have a political um, power as a um, as a grown up, as a first generation refugee child from a Muslim background. It was just like, I, I was just part of this collective of the, whatever they wanted to call it, whether it was displaced people, whether they want to talk to the community leaders. I just, my voice and my presence was just kind of tagged along to that. So I think the older I got and the more that I found that actually I do have a voice and I could use that was kind of the thing that, got me to be more active and more political yeah in that sense oh my god it's so important and so wonderful because then so many people are gonna find you identify with you and be like wow there's somebody i can look up to and can connect and, with and it's and fine and it's that whole thing of that there is life beyond fgm and one of the kind of um there was two like for me what kind of drove me into becoming an activist i knew like all the bullshit i was going to get how painful everything was going to be in terms of the reaction i was going to get from like predominantly men because I, I just I'm really confused as to why men are upset about me talking about my own vagina it's just like what is what, what is the problem but um, it was I met some um, 13 year olds in 2006 just after I graduated from university in Bristol mm. and there was 14 of those girls so 13 of them had been cut and I thought 
wow, I, I just assumed that people would just kind of collectively get to the point where they would understand that it was wrong and this was bad and this was horrible. But then the next one was this girl that I met who was just falling apart in front of me with not ha having never met anybody that had the same form of FGM that I, she had and never having somebody say to her that it's fine and actually there is life beyond FGM and just giving her that kind of positive kind of um, 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 conversations. And I think she was the first person that I ever told I had FGM to because beyond that, I just thought after... So there's like several forms of FGM, but I had a really invasive form of FGM and I had to get medical um, me medical um, intervention when I was 11. Gosh. And beyond that, I just thought, okay, do you know what, I'm done with that because ironically, my FGM wasn't my choice and nor was the de-infibulation, which is the undoing of the kind of the FGM that I had. I was rolled into a hospital in Cardiff and I rolled back out and I just, I used to think, I thought, my mother is amazing and there is no other horrible thing happening in my life, but you've just had um, an 11 year old with her vagina sewn up come into your, um, hospital should you not be asking me if i'm okay but they were too embarrassed because they just thought don't want to offend the black people and it was those kind of things that kind of scarred me for a long time and seeing this girl i thought i could either add to the kind of experiences that she's probably had that i probably had or i could like you know suck it up and tell her that we have a similar um experience and like you know everything's going to be okay and i did and that was just that that, that was the first person i was actually really honest with and now I seem to be honest with everybody. It's it's yeah. I was never ashamed of it, but it was just something that I just didn't identify with anymore. Yeah. When you said about those thirteen girls in in Bristol, yeah. Now, would they all have gone somewhere else? Would they have all left the UK to have that on it, or was is that still going on? Because I know until yeah. recently, and there are still people talking about that this is still going on it's, in they, place in the UK. They they would have probably left the when it was happening in the UK was the eighties and the nineties when ironically there were no. Um, like you know the the community special that I was from um the Somali community didn't necessarily have um doc documentation to leave the country it is still happening so in terms of um FGM it's like 98% within the Somali community 91 within the Egyptian community 98 within the Sudanese community so there is that there, there, there is um like you know every like you know evidence that women are being cut here in the UK but a lot of the girls are being taken out in order to kind of carry on with that kind of confusion of the fact that it's this it's a it's a it's a bit of like you know when a paedophile gives you sweets and tries to confuse you and tells you that he loves you and all these other kind of things you're confused by it. there's these like you know amazing things happening in a country which you've longed for and then you come back and then you're thinking well i can't say anything about that because these white people are not going to understand my family and my culture back there so there's a lot of that like you know manipulating of a child's mind and one of the most legit like the way to legitimize your pain is to always re repeat that act and a lot of my friends and a lot of my um, kind of cohorts hadn't unpicked their experience of FGM for a long time. And one of the things that I did when I um, in my um, late 20s um, was to actually write a lot of letters to apologize because I was a bit of a dickhead as a, as a as a teenager because I had been given the opportunity to have a defibrillation. So to have this um, act somewhat undone and then I was given the ability to read and do whatever i wanted to do so i was i was angry but my anger was taken out at a lot of my friends or a lot of my cohorts that hadn't been able to process it so to them it was normal it was something that they were proud of and i just didn't understand that but i've just learned that i just had privileges that they didn't necessarily have when do you think i mean when was there a because i think the first i ever knew anything about this would have been was it a book by alice walker yeah uh, warrior marks yeah 
And until then, I don't know when when that was early nineties, maybe. So that so that was um, oh. I think ninety three, ninety one. But um, but Noel had written in Noel Al Salawi, Egyptian um, writer, had written in the eighties, and I um, weirdly enough met her in two thousand and fourteen, and I'd always and I'd, I'd read this conversation between her and my mother, um, her her mother, which essentially was I I read it as it was a conversation between me and my mother, yeah. and um, her mother um, for her her mother was in the room when she was being cut, and then she woke up trying to look for like you know to say this thing happened in this horrible thing and she sees her mother in the corner and thinks the person that i love the most is complicit in this act so um and for me my um activism or being very open about my fgm was kind of a um a, like a throwback to my mom i was i was i was kind of throwing a lot of the things that she's given me so the free like you know like like free education like you know not being like you know genderly um excluded from other things so my mother felt like the fact that i was throwing these things back in her face by being so open about something that i had no idea she could do nothing about but it took me a long time to get to the point of realizing that and i remember um noel talking about this um this essay she wrote and she said she'd written it three times and then threw it into the ocean and huh. because she was um scared that's such a romantic yeah. way of getting rid of a draft isn't yeah, it just like ripping it up and throwing it into the aiden like you know to the gulf and she, she said i was really um she said i was really scared and i thought but you are a political prisoner you wrote a novel huh on toilet paper and eyeliner what were you you were like arrested by the Egyptian yeah, but um, dictators like, what were you scared nothing's of? more frightening than pissing off your mum with something you've written exactly and I just and then she said to her I said to her like you know what were you I said what were you scared of and she said um, I was scared of the shame of being nothing but a mutilated vagina and I thought you know what that's what kept me silent for 20 years as well because I thought I've got three law degrees I'm like different I'm like this I can speak languages mm. Screw you! I'm not just about my vagina, but it was the most symbolic act that kind of changed my life and got me into the, like I think like you know changed my life and made me the the woman that I was. And I just thought it was from that moment that I realized actually, my mother was also just a girl who's been cut. So is my grandmother. So it was very wrong of me to go to my mother with questions that she probably didn't have the answers to. And it was for me to find that like you know those answers and kind of go on that journey and. And I've done that. We've kind of reconciled in the in in the way that when I talk about FGM, especially to my mother and to other girls, I talk to them as just another girl. I don't talk. To, so you you can go to um you can go to Nigeria. The first lady's a woman that's had FGM. And um, ironically, I remember um, so the um, Obama when he was here last time wanted to talk about issues of FGM, and he did this um, very interesting thing where he said, "Oh, this horrible act." I said, mate, you're not that far removed. So your father came out of a woman that was cut. Had you been born to a Kenyan woman that, that was born in the 1950s or like um, 40s when your father was born, you, you would have come out of a mutilated vagina. So had your mother and father had a girl, then the conversation with FGM would have probably been evident in that kind of experience. So I think you're not that far removed, but you're the most powerful man on this planet. And FGM is three generations within your lifetime. So... Sometimes you got to get over yourself and not think that it's such a massively far removed thing because you will get on the tube today and there will be a woman that's cut. You probably we all probably know girls or I can uh, work with them or are friends with girls that have probably been cut. If your ch- if your children go to school in London, there's probably a likelihood there's a girl in, in their class that is at risk of FGM. So it's a it's a massive thing, but there's also hope within that heartache of how massive the issue is. 
Wow. What was it? You, you mentioned a little bit early as well as Noel, you mentioned Orwell and going to the kind of books on it. That bit when you were going, now I need to find different voices and yeah. finding those in books. Who, where was it that you turned? Where, where were the books you thought this is giving me? So whether it was about campaigning, whether it was about trying to understand attitudes in the world, what were the what for you were the most powerful books that you found for that? I just I never I never really um, read like anything about campaigning because I think I was like always politically conscious about those things. But I think um, like you know like reading um, Animal Farm in 1984 as an 11 year old really changed my kind of thinking and understanding that it's actually okay to be different and that people might just catch up with you. And it was always looking for different things. And I had a, I had a really, like an amazing fascination with um, with the with the Second World War as well, because I'd there, there was two things. It wasn't just necessarily the FGM, it was also having seen civil war as a child. I think it was just that concept of like, you know, how inhumane people could be and how there was like, you know, voices within that. So if you didn't speak up, what, what would happen? So I think my um, history has, has, always, um, has also been a very, powerful thing so I read a lot of um, biographies so and some of them I agreed with and some of them I didn't and it was it was just kind of like you know finding out what, what other people thought and really trying to see what they said was completely different to what they were thinking and my history teacher was one of the kind of the salt like you know one of the salvations in in my, in my life and I remember him saying that you should always question everything and I said why and he said exactly <laughs> so it, was, it was a joke in itself, but it was just one of those things where you just I just had a very like you know I questioned everything and I wanted to know more and I think my greatest fear in life was always like you know admitting that I didn't know enough so I just overread unnecessarily and the older I've got actually I've learned that there's nothing wrong with saying I'm not really sure about that let me get back to you mm. so yeah as a um, I think as a child I was always I was always very um, I was very argumentative so I was always there to have something to to back it up with and ironically I was educated a Catholic and raised a Muslim so I read a lot of the Bible and I read a lot of the Quran and that kind of got me to wanting to be a lawyer because but both of them are kind of contracts with a non-existent um, supplier that the goods are here but I'm just not necessarily sure if they're as good as I thought they were so yeah I think the actually, I, I think the Quran and the Bible are always two things that I read a lot in because they are the most contradictory things and if you read it it's it's very human in the sense that like you know we're not going to be assholes but try better and if you really do want to hit somebody but think of, so there's a lot of that kind of thing it always it was kind of a um like a check and balance kind of thing and i really i did like you know growing up i did love the stories of the bible they're quite cute yeah, Huntress Thompson was a big fan. Huntress Thompson, as in Gonzo. Yeah. Huntress Thompson was always said that the great thing about hotels is there's always a Bible in the drawer. So he can always find that opening quote for whatever strange, rabid piece he was <laughs> yeah. going to write about Richard Nixon or whatever it might be. So it's very useful. But no, they are, it is very useful. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's like I'm agnostic, but at the same time, it's a very, there's there's a sense of, I think it's I think it's what, what with humans in, in, in their hands do with the book. Yeah. So it's that whole point. And I just saw a lot of kind of being very comfortable with just hearing about these things. And I don't necessarily have a concept of heaven or hell because the world is the way it is. And it was just like, it was just constantly allowed me to kind of ask questions about, um, but I was I, I was lucky to ask those questions in private. A lot of those kids are asking those questions right, right now on social media. And that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Do you find it, I mean, you, you use social media, obviously. Do you Have you found it, 
predominantly a pragmatic thing or do you every now and again go I'm just going to shut this thing down because it's in terms of either deliberate misinterpretation or I imagine you were sent a lot of stuff as well yeah. where you think hang on a minute I've actually lived this life yeah and yet this person supposedly knows more about it than me oh that's yeah the the, the people that always want to come and um, kind of rescue me again it's one of those conversations that I always um, have but I think I'm in a I'm in a different place and what I've really found with um, with like so the way that I use I think a lot of people when they when they meet me they're like oh my god you're so nice you seem so angry on Twitter I'm like I don't think like humor yeah no no but it's because Twitter especially if you're a woman and I can't like I can't even imagine how much extra scared up it is when you are a woman of color like the amount of just shit that you have to deal with Twitter makes you angry it's not real life it's just the way that like you can't you can't even go on and go like oh I had a lovely biscuit this morning because yeah. there'll be 50 people being like you shouldn't be having a biscuit exactly. well, you shouldn't of... you're fucking gluten what are you having biscuits for <laughs> you've been banging on about this gluten thing and now you're telling me you've had a biscuit I'm <laughs> angry with you now and also people can't afford biscuits so you're just thinking well just let me eat a biscuit <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. yeah so there is, a, there is a lot of that but I found that I have this really um, weird thing and it's like yesterday was the first time that I decided not to engage with it because um th- there's a there's a lot of like young and this is the thing i feel really protective and precious about them but then at the same time they're so vicious and horrible there's a lot of young um mostly somali or east african um girls or other kids that have grown up in like so this kind of new kind of intersectional feminism and and their intersectional feminism is very much a hashtag and it's i don't necessarily think that they like you know their reality and the things that they do so um yesterday i said the thing about oh um Margaret Thatcher was I said the irony of Margaret Thatcher um being the person that let my family in and it was a conservative um government and it just went off you have such a hard on for Tories I'm like well I used to not anymore but it's this, this whole kind of this massive thing and I thought you know what I'm not even going to engage with this because it's that whole point of actually it's like I'm, I don't know what's really what what, what your pain is yeah and it's a small window yeah. on a person so yeah if you judge someone by how they seem on Twitter then you have no idea about and I, and I, the reality and, and constantly it's like you know the whole point of um, this kind of term which I really there's like three women that I um, love and I'm extremely protective about and it was so it's um, um, Catelyn Moran um, Kathy Newman and Jess Phillips and I love those women and it's that whole point of when they say things and people just think it's like fair game to just have a go at oh it's just God. like fair game and I, and and I remember when um yeah so um so what I say to like you know so the just I was like yeah it's like so I don't like Diane Abbott I can say I don't like Diane Abbott and I'm like I can say that Diane Abbott says a lot of stupid things but at the same time I respect her for being one of the first um, black MPs or whatever it is but nobody else can say that because like she's some kind of gospel kind of thing the Labour Party is going to shits but you can't say that because the momentum massive but then you you literally can't say anything on Twitter yeah. without getting whoever it is disagrees with you responding in kind especially like i think the gender divide thing yeah. is so massive so if you're a woman talking about women oh my god it's it doesn't i think it genuinely like doesn't matter where you're coming from sometimes because whatever you say it's like... but sometimes i get a little bit more um leverage because the whole point is that they can't so what are you going to say that you're going to call me racist because so the whole point is like there's like middle and this is the whole thing about the um the uh, the um, Zach Goldsmith thing, yeah. and the, the the number of like you know white middle class people that were telling me that he's racist, and I was looking at him and I was like, actually he's not racist. Do you even have a, an understanding of what the talk like you know what the term racism and what racism is, and do you even know that he's like no no but he and I thought you know just like 
you can't be calling like it's very easy and i think that's one of those things if you call but, somebody racist then it just automatically the whole conversation just shuts down no but i think it was a bit racist of him to send letters to people judging them by their names so that he could provoke but it wasn't but, um, but that's not what it was racist I, I don't know because that's yeah. the it, that uh might be uh misguided foolish and small-minded perhaps yeah but that might not be the same because i, I think i that, suppose it's, that, does it it's then... definitely islamophobic because what he's doing is, is it islamophobic no. or is it, provoke... is it islamic ignorant i don't know i'm yeah, trying to work a, out that the um it's the thing of like you know he he, he thinks he knows because he's like you know half of his family is like asian and he's married to um um like you know he's he he his sister was married to um like you know the cricket player and everything else that like, he thinks he knows and it's one of those things that where you could just say to people actually that's just like that's just stupid like why, why would you think that it's like my friend's mum trying to be really nice that when I go um, <laughs> when I go around for dinner and stuff making like telling me that we haven't put any pork in the thing and I was like you can get, you can get, you can eat pork it's fine I'm not going to really be offended yeah. so it's like there is a there's the level of like like ignorance and stupidity, maybe, but to call him racist, but what like I'm having known, is, yeah, he wrote these letters to people but saying I, that um, Sadiq Khan is going to steal all tax your, your gold. things. But I, and then at like, the same that time, to me seems so crass so and insensitive. He had a shit campaign. I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> but yeah. as him as a person to be called racist was just like, and I felt that, you know actually he's not racist. And if we call him racist, then the next time actually something racist happens. So, but so then, the flip side you... is, what is Sadiq Khan doing for the BME community right now? Sure. It's the whole point of like his thing is like oh I'm Asian so I know all Asians I'm like actually no that's offensive because you're just you're you're a, you're a specific person from a specific place and you know certain things and the thing about somebody that's um, very rich and um, like you know as 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 privileged as like you know Zach Goldsmith is that he would invite people in saying that the fact that he he, he doesn't know things and he'll be able to take leverage to say. Actually, I can do something about that. And anyway, I, just, I don't know if I agree with you here, but yeah. it's nice to talk about it. Yeah, no, it's just, <laughs> no, it's just I, I yeah, it's just like it was one of the. Um, I don't even know how I got to, but it's yeah, it's just those kind of things that happen on me on social media. Yeah. It's like a lot of people are shut down and are called racist, and I'm just thinking, well, well, and also, it's, I think there's definitely a lefty thing of we've called out this person that's them done yeah. and it's something that i definitely like so was that goldsmith i'm like that guy ran a bigoted campaign yeah. fuck that guy right which you know in some ways i obviously stand by completely but at the same time like the left what's it the left wants to what's the word denounce yeah. and then get rid and actually that Not doesn't replace, help us yeah. and, and also like you know acknowledgement that everyone is a hypocrite and everyone fucks up yeah and if those two things or one of those two things mean that you're off the roll call forever, how small is the club going to be at the end of it? You know, and how, you know, how does that acknowledge for the fact that life is 100 years long and over your life you're going to change and ebb and flow and you might have all kinds of useful contributions to make to society regardless of your previous exactly. stances, mistakes, whatever, you know? And I think that's what social media doesn't acknowledge. It no. doesn't, you know, it's like, well, five years ago, you were a member of the Lib Dems and now you're a member of this. And it's like, yeah, life is very long. Five years ago, I had a short haircut. And that is one of those things where I think about a lot of these young people that are calling out, like, you know, seen. And this is the thing about social media that I like is the fact that there's a, it doesn't matter how like important somebody is, there, there's, there, there, there's a bit of your ego that you will check yourself on social media. So it gives you a little bit more access to ministers and things like sure. that. So you can basically at somebody and they would, in the middle of the night, get really angry and without the special advisors tweet you back that's how i that's how we ended up getting the whole fgm kind of movement going through um like with lynn featherstone who's a great friend now and she said to me she said what she said one of the most flippant things and she said um is your experience recent and was it in africa and i said 
I've got many token cards I can pull out. Don't try to out Africa me. And then I left it at that. And then we had a conversation. So there, there is that kind of thing that you can actually change conversations. But there's a lot of young people who social media accounts in about five years time when they go knocking on the door for a job. Like, oh, well, Gosh. you said you wanted to blow up number 10 and we can't be hiring you for saying that. Gosh. So those ones I'm really kind of, I'm really concerned about. But then they also think that I'm some kind of neo-Nazi. I don't know, you, 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 you get titled with the most weird things. And you're just thinking, how does that even work? It's like, how can I yeah. be anti-Muslim, um, blah, 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 and all these other kind of things. I was like, okay, why, whatever. But also it's like... We are a multitude. Have... It was your perfect time for some Walt Whitman I am there. fast. I can take multitudes. <laughs> I said that to my boyfriend in an argument the other day because he went, oh, you said you like that, but you don't. You like this. And I was like, I'm fast. I can take multitudes. Um, but also I think it's that... the uh, What is it? The anxiety of small difference? Is that yeah. what it's called? It's that thing where you're nearly... It's not the anxiety. Someone... It's the... Uh, the vanity of... The, uh, Come on, we know it. Up, yeah. the small differences are worse than big differences. As well, yeah. In a different way, yeah. So like, even with someone like Jess him. Phillips. Now, yeah. I love Jess Phillips. I like I think like yeah I but I disagree with her all the time yeah constantly and that for me on social media is very challenging but what is good in terms of seeing her on social media is I also completely see the responses she gets and I'm always on her side yeah. and I love the way she deals with it and I think she's very um very funny with it a lot of the time and so it's like it's useful and helpful for me to follow someone that I find challenging politically but feel uh, you know, I understand. That, and I, can, I don't like. have to agree with you, but I can respect you. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those things that I think there's a there's a there's a lack of people people that we respect in the kind of political um, sphere right now. So there's there's a lot of people where I'm thinking, you know what, I don't agree with anything you stand, but I respect the fact that you did this in your life or whatever mm. it is. There's some kind of admiration that you have for them, whether they fought in a war or whatever it is. It's just like total like waste of space right now. And I'm just thinking, what is the, like what is your actual contribution? to society and this idea of the fact that oh I'm going to be like leader I'm going to be like all these young um, young like you know kids that are coming out of Oxford and Cambridge and their main kind of thing is actually ironically is to join the Labour Party now it's no longer the Tory party most of them are socialists and they're all going uh, yeah, that's, that's quite a, exciting to me no it's just, it just makes no sense but is that not exciting no, to because think that there's loads of young talent that's no, bright jo- enough to go to Oxford that wants to do no, some sort of no, socialist no they should be joining the Lib Dems because that makes more sense but <laughs> yeah I mean same, you're not gonna, the, I'm not going to agree with you there the, or the Green Party maybe but it's just this whole thing I, 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 actually I don't even know where the heart of the Labour Party re- really sits anymore and that's the kind of for me that's my kind of like challenging thing at the moment is that and social media has kind of created that thing of where you're just sitting there thinking, okay, what is the point of having a conversation? I could have, like, mm. apart from Jess Phillips and um, and Stella Creasy and a few others, there's no, like, any female... Like, Angela uh, Rayner? Is she, is she, is she Labour? She's a Labour MP. Okay. She's amazing. Um, hang on, there's about... <laughs> well, I'll tell I've you about three... That, I think there's about three, um, three Labour women at the moment that I really love and love to follow as yeah. well. Um, Angela Rayner is one of them. Her Twitter is incredible. Let me just find it on my phone. Give me ten seconds. I'm still in a bit of shock about the fact that the extremism of Trump, we were talking about this another one earlier, has led to me going, oh, Louise Mensch said some really good no. things. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's maybe, I'll tell you the one no, thing is, I didn't know no. I was a fan of Fiona Apple. I love Fiona. Um, no, I, I never really followed that. But now her one bit of work that I went, that's a gateway. Did you see, She's you know, that no. chant? Oh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> she, she had this, you saw the chant for the Women's March. 
We don't want your tiny hands anywhere near our underpants. We don't want. It was <laughs> no, no, it was, yeah. keep your filthy, no, keep no. your tiny paws off my silky drawers. Which no, I've heard we don't need your tiny hands because it was and, remixed a little bit as well. Sorry. I thought very impressive so, Fiona Apple there. Angela Rayner, I yeah. think, is wonderful. She's one of the. She was. Best. She was the one um, who was a teenage mom, and because another one of the things which I'm kind of actually really dis- disappointed about, disappointed about, I don't do anymore is watch Question Time. Oh, I, I used to love it. Question Time. But do you know that one of the bookers is like a UKIP? Do you know what? I'm no, again, I'm not entirely sure if they are or they aren't. The thing was, they I don't know. They tweeted something that was connected to something which is dodgy. No, but no. You somebody know what? showed a thing of their Facebook and a group that they were on was. Well, I, d- I don't Maybe know. Maybe research. I, I, I'm, I'm kind yeah. of. I, I think that those things are. I Unreliable. just don't watch it because it either makes me cross or. And I used to get drunk and then tweet about it, and then they ask you on, then they think, oh, no, then I, I have to. I, then I'll end up sat next to Melanie Phillips, and then yeah. But it is. Um, um, I it's a spectacle. Say, That's the thing. Is yeah. all of it is every one of those few Society of the spectacle. Uh, yeah, it is. It's yeah. everything is spectacle. So it's much better to create someone for five minutes who you can tear down, and they've done this one thing because you create another moment of spectacle. Now that bit of just waiting and going, let's just work out what this person actually means, or, or what and that's the... and that's the thing is that you can't. Have, so they they asked me on and they asked me several questions about things, and they said, oh, so how do you like you know I can't really pin your political views, and I said I'm a libertarian. I said the whole point is I would vote for the best MP in my constituency. I don't you know I don't go for party politics. I'm I'm a member of I'm a founding member of the Women's Equality Party, but that's because I believe in feminism and these kind of conversations. So I believe in grammar schools. But I would happily pay eighty percent tax for the NHS. Um, I don't support the death penalty, but then at the same time, I really like you know. I'm really sometimes I find myself thinking, could I wish something bad on somebody? So there is all those other kind of like weird things that I'm no longer like I'm not conservative. I'm not Labour, and like you know, I just couldn't see myself as a Lib Dem. Isn't that the problem that we can't go beyond? Sorry. No, no. Um, I just want to say there's another Labour MP that I really like called Cat Smith. Uh, he's for Lancaster and Fleetwood. Oh, see, we oh, had so like see, I'm I met her. I'm 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 last year. Met everyone though, because then yeah. I get to be like, what are they like? But I met her at, um, at Leftfield. So literally, so this year, last year, Leftfield is when like I found out that we Brexited in the back oh, of the Leftfield tent. Oh my god! Yeah. And the Labour Party was falling apart there. So she was yeah. there. Her, her partner is like the press person for thing, sitting there with a Nokia, and I'm thinking, okay, you're <laughs> not doing much press for the Labour Party if you don't even have a a 21st century phone but it was just like literally it was the most it was the point when I thought do you know what you guys are the opposition I don't even need to like you but I need you to get your shit together and yeah, that I was what was really, really that was what was really sad and that's and she was one of the ones where we had a conversation about um, and I was saying that I didn't like Jeremy and she was very adamant and I was like what is there to like about him and it was this whole thing of well unless you like Jeremy then you're not part of the Labour Party and I thought that is not my politics. Yeah, no, I don't feel that way either. I, I, I don't think that that's a good way to be. Like, and also, like for me, like, and I find it very hard. Yeah. What I am trying to do is think: how can we build the biggest yeah. coalition of people who are going to be kind and tolerant, and for me, share values that uh, represent socialism in some way that's like uh, you know about opportunity and kindness yeah. and wealth, welfare of everyone and stuff like that. And so, like for me, it's like being like, please. Let's stop fighting. Yeah, I don't want to fight people that aren't my enemy because there are loads of enemies. <laughs> I think we've 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 also started to um, kind of stop respecting people that actually think about things. So it's really nice for somebody to have like you know they they go for a monologue or they'll send a tweet out. But I'm thinking, what is the thought out approach? of what you actually think. So this whole thing about even Brexit, the idea that people were knocking down judges because these are people that are yeah. going to sit down 
look at something, think about it, and give you a judgment, not just having an opinion. Yeah. So that is, and for me, it's just, I find it that we're, we're dumbing ourselves down so much. And I've come from a place of like debate and conversations and all those other kind of things. And, those, and that was the thing about FGM. It was like a long time. There was a whole point of, let's let's try to understand them like why we understand it let's just end it it's this whole thing that we should have a collectively like what is your view mm. on but nobody sits around and just and i and i remember talking to um a minister and i said something about fgm and i told her the same and she said oh you really thought about this and i said yeah i haven't just come up one day and thought oh do you know what my, my life is so empty that i'm going to try to rescue all these africans that haven't been doing anything for a last whatever it is or i'm going to do a ban aid or whatever i did it wasn't a comic relief kind of way of doing something it was very much actually let's what's the social change and let's have a conversation so i think that's what's happening to our politics right now is that we're so kind of tribal that you can't sit around and disagree with and i've i've stopped kind of for me the trump the hate and the racism there were there were a lot of people that i loved that i went to university with that i grew up with that i tolerated their little bit of bullshit but now that you have to fight bullshit on a massive scale on a day-to-day basis. I've just stopped talking to them. I thought, mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not going to really gonna have a conversation with you about your, oh, do you know what? I don't really like the burqa. It's, like, really oppressive. And it's, it's my, my mother chooses to wear the burqa. I'm not going to... There's no time for me to have an intellectual conversation about choice with you. I'm fighting a monster that wants to literally ban people that look like me. So there's this... There's, I don't know. It's in this weird thing that... I think if we start, if I start crying, I don't think I'd be able to stop. And that was the night that um, Trump won. Like CNN through, it was CNN through this massive party, assuming that it was going to be all, um, it was going to be Hillary Clinton. Mm. And people had their like, everybody had their cards on the table. And by the end of it, everyone was drinking vodka and t- crying their eyes out. Mm. I, was, I heard that about New York and San Francisco. Apparently, mm. David McCollum said that. I think we, well, we interviewed him. It was actually before we got out there, but. Uh, he said he suddenly it was just a total bubble. Yeah. He said he was out in San Francisco wow. and there was just this sudden moment. Well, I'm just saying on the actual night he was there oh, yeah. and he said it was just this. It's it's okay. No, Hillary, definitely. Yeah. It's definitely Hillary. It's definitely Hillary. And then suddenly he said it was about 10 o'clock, I think, where people went, something's gone wrong. And to just went into this massive depression. And I met, I met a, um, which was, I met a, um, um, an African American um, young man, a man with his wife who was South Asian Pakistani. And I thought it was really interesting that you guys would see each other as both American as immigrants and have a loving relationship because in 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 the UK the black community the Asian community is separated and then there's the divides of Islam that brings some of you back together and all these things. And he and I and I remember because he he, he and his history being longer in that country. The first few states came in. And he's like, no, it's fine. We're not going. He, he he said, we're not that bad. We're not going to do this. We know our history. And then it was his face. I think seeing oh. it at the end of the night, that just made me cry because I thought, my God, nobody's going to accept your relationship because everybody thinks that you're both from two different cultures, and it's like you're from America and that history. So I just kind of like literally, I was just, you know, when you just like bore your eyes out, yeah. it's uncontrollable kind of. But, but then it's that thing of like. The simple fact of their existence is a clear, obvious thing of like human. Like, if you engage with anyone on a personal yeah. level, you can't. Do- you'll be like, oh, these are people 
that I can get on with who love each other. Oh, I can't hold the prejudices I hold. But then it's really tiring to constantly go out every oh, day course. and be a face for yeah. like, you know, oh, do you know what? I'm a refugee. Like, it's fine to be like oh, that. It's yeah. like, after a time, you're just like, do you know what? It's the screw you. It's like... It's like there's this episode of The Simpsons I think of all the time where Homer is, homoph Homer is homophobic in it, right? And then John Waters plays this gay character and then Homer is nearly killed by a deer and John Waters saves his life. And then Homer goes, oh, I'm not going to be homophobic anymore, I realise. And John Waters says, so all I have to do is individually save the life of every single homophobe and then it'll be okay. And it's that thing of like, yeah. Do you have the time to be to be judged or to be... And also like, to so, yeah. have to be a symbol to people yeah. your whole life. That's or have I'm... to acknowledge the bullshit of other people in everything you're doing. We've run out of time. Okay. Mm. So, I've just, talked, I've just you... talked at you guys. No, it's great, it's interesting. great, that's fine. The, we need to quickly say five books you like, so otherwise yes. there's no we reading list from this. We want to ask you about this. what you love and what you've really enjoyed as okay. well, because I feel like we've asked you. We'll from literally that just we'll, we'll get we'll, we'll get you back and we'll actually talk about the books because I think you know once we went on and you were talking about Dawson Eve, that's uh, more useful. Yeah, than yeah, us doing okay. Books thing. But let's just quickly get some books where we'll. Can I, do I have five? five or just what are you reading now? Really love. Okay, um, what am I reading now? I'm reading um, um, Jess Phillips's. Uh, new book oh shit what is it I should know the name of that God, I want to say it's called like Mouthy or something but I don't know it's it called she, that's in her bio this is how I this is how I, I so so I'm, I'm reading her um, book and there's also another girl called Daisy her book about how to be a grown up but um, I've just also just taken like several copies of Kathleen Moran's How to Be a Woman to Somaliland <sighs> and it's an undercover reading list because these girls thought oh it's about makeup no it's about abortions and eating cheese of a like you know, of a fork so yeah that's those are the ones do you read a lot more essays than novels? I do now, actually, and I, and I read a lot more of, um, like, you know, collections. Of, actually, do you know what, what? One of the things that I really kind of, the kind of the saving grace right now in, in terms of things that I read is BuzzFeed. Huh. BuzzFeed actually has, like, amazing writing and, and a lot of people... Fake news, fake news. <laughs> yeah. Sad, sad. And it's really really diverse from, yeah. like, really funny stuff. It's, to like, it's really, under, like really un underestimated, and I think that's been... Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm sorry to say, but I've stopped reading The Guardian because it's just become an echo chamber. It's just like, and they, and then sometimes they write something and I'm like reading and they're like, oh, do you want to donate five pounds? I'm like, you know what? I will give you five pounds, but just like, just like give me something that I can say I don't agree with or disagree. Like, you know. Because you see, I just find it comforting because I feel like I get so much I disagree with it all the time that I'm like, oh, thank God. I vaguely disagree with it. I vaguely agree with this. This is fine. You know. Right, but we better finish okay. there. Sorry, we've yeah, got, no, we've got to end. And well, uh, so thank you very much for listening. And... Uh, if you'd like to know more, Daughter of Evie, just that's pretty much the the website. Yeah, the uh, website. To, yeah, 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 the website. Uh, go and find out more there uh, about what they're doing, and uh, then we'll get a reading list next time we have you on. Yes, brilliant. Uh, thank you very much. And oh, we should just say the winner of this week's uh, book uh, is um, who's that? Oh, okay, uh, Louis McCallum and Rosalind Gould. And this is uh, it's Rosalind Gould, isn't it? Could be. Could be Rosalind Gould. Or if, if there's a Rosalind Gould both. and there's a Rosalind Gould, we'll give you both a box <laughs> of books. Uh, and thank you very much to our Patreon supporters who include William Weir, Mike Hurd, Gemma Ball, Andrew McNara. I'm going to do the rest of it because you're looking at text now. Victoria Redfern, Hannah C. Vaughan Earl Norman and Paul Douglas. Well done and thank you very much. Vaughan Earl Norman, he got a box of books once as well. He might really get another four. one as well. <laughs> <laughs> there thank we go. You. Brilliant. Someone, thank my you. voice... Is my vehicle. We still haven't talked about the books but you're some, reading. All the books are already, but it's too late now. Bye. Uh, no, no, we haven't. Hey.
we've relaunched and we've got a new website and that also includes other podcasts as well as this and on top of that uh, blog posts by scientists and authors and comedians and if you want to know more about that in fact you may be there already but it is cosmicshambles.com not long now until the Cosmic Shambles Tour, which is going on in New Zealand and Australia. We're doing six dates out there. Josie, me, Helen Chersky, Matt Parker, Lucy Green, loads of special guests as well. If you want to know more about that, then go to CosmicShamblesLive.com. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. Trunkman Productions.